of the element man. Metamorpho, metamorpho, starts out in old Egypt land. Metamorpho, metamorpho, Rex Mason was his real name. Metamorpho, metamorpho, a soldier of fortune didn't care about fame. Metamorpho, metamorpho, until fate took a hand in the game. What a known as hashtag zany haney it's been you know it's been over a year since we did one of these that's amazing you told me that and i like no it couldn't have been i guess it has been it didn't feel like it but i guess so i think it explains 2016 i I think it just right there done makes perfect sense now but yeah uh rob and i have if if this is your first zany haney uh rob and i have a deep 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 affection for bob haney stories because they're batshit crazy i mean they're just total nutburger and when you read them you know if you're in if you're in the mood for a serious comic you're probably gonna read it and go oh my gosh this doesn't make any sense but when you step back from it and you just enjoy comics it's like this is the greatest thing i've ever read it's so ridiculous i can't make head or tail of it but i'm having a blast you know it's almost his, it's a little bit like a Transformers movie. Yeah, well, I mean, his skill at storytelling combined with a gleeful disregard for continuity makes for a really magical combination. <laughs> it really does. It really does. Now, this is our fifth one. This is actually our fifth showcase, believe it or not. Just a r- real quick rundown. Uh, in episode 93, we covered a Brave and the Bold issue with Batman and the Teen Titans, which was hysterical. Ginchy. And then... <laughs> and then after that, we covered a Batman Brave and the Bold with Sergeant Rock... Also featuring Bob Haney and Jim Aparo themselves. <laughs> that was the craziest comic I've ever read. Then uh, in episode 110, we did this crazy team-up between Wonder Woman and Supergirl, where they went all fashionista. And we also did an amazing backup about Johnny Thunder. The, uh, oh, the that one was Johnny so Thunder. good. Yeah, It really was. 
then on episode 124, uh, it was one featuring the Super Sons of Batman and Superman, and they put their parents on trial. And then the back end of that, we had another Brave and the Bold with Flash and the Disco of Death. You know, just saying these names brings me joy remembering all this. And then in episode 148, we did a Metamorpho special where we covered first issue special and a Brave and the Bold that had Metamorpho and Plastic Man. Just great comics. Ugh. And tonight is no different. We are doing another uh, installment of the Super Sons, and we are going to do an, another Brave, Brave and the Bold. So we are going to have a blast. Okay, before we get to all the zany Haney, we need to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of the Bob Haney Showcase is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. Proudly, I'm sure. Uh, InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and all and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy? I have Legends of the Dark Knight Jim Aparo Hardcover, Volume 2. This re- this reprints Brave and the Bold issues 123 through 145 and 147 through 151. Batman teams up with The Flash, Aquaman, which is the issue we're going to cover here. Mr. Miracle, Green Arrow, Wonder Woman, Dead Man, Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Phantom Stranger, Supergirl, The Teen Titans, and Jim Aparo himself. <laughs> Unfortunately, not all in the same story. Uh, these writers... <laughs> This is, of course, written by uh, also Bob Haney. So we get Bob Haney here, too. There's uh, art by Jim Aparo and also some Joe Staten. Can't beat that, Aparo and Staten in the same book. 520 pages in full Ooh, color. The cover, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cover's great. It's got Batman and Deadman. Normal price, $49.99. In stock at trades price, $27.49. That's 45% off. Can't beat it. Dude, that's insane. That's the size of a showcase. That is you a know? big book. That's wow. Big, big okay. Book. Well, mine is a little unusual. Mine is not a Bob Haney story. However, trust me, just follow me with it. Uh, it is Superman Trade Paperback Volume 1. This is from Rebirth, the, the DC Rebirth era. So it's very, very recent, and it's called Son of Superman. Eh, it might start to make a little bit of sense. Written by Peter Tomasi, art by Pat Gleason and Doug Monkey, And uh, this tells the story of Superman. It's the... It's a little confusing, but it's the post-crisis or the post-infinite crisis. Superman living in – and that, by the way, trademark Michael Bailey. Thank you for pointing that out. But living in the DC Rebirth universe, so he's like in the New 52 universe, and he's married to Lois, and then they have a son, a young son named Jonathan who's about 10 years old. And he is kind of stepping into the shoes of becoming a Superboy. And uh, it is an absolute joy to read. There's a lot of fun in the story. And more importantly, the – the, uh, there's a reason I'm suggesting it to you, but again, covering the details of 160 pages, full color, retail price is $16.99. You can get it right now on InStock Trades for only $9.34. It's a wonderful collection. I love it. I, I, I've been reading the Superman books for a while now. Really enjoy it. But here's the kicker. You buy Trade Paperback Volume 1 to get you ready for Volume 2 of the Trade Paperback, which comes out in April. And why, Rob? Thanks for asking. Because in Volume 2, it reprints issues Superman number 10 and number 11, which is a prelude to the new, I'm not kidding, upcoming Super Sons comic book, monthly book coming. Yes, there is a new monthly book coming out called Super Sons, which features Robin, uh, which is Damian Wayne, and Superboy, which is Jonathan Kent. And this this is like a little prelude, issues 10 and 11. The dude... We should cover it on the show sometime. It is pure joy. It is them scrapping and hating each other and punching each other and solving a crime and their parents being dicks. And it's just like, it's perfect. I love it. It's awesome. I cannot wait. I I hate Damien. Like, I can't stand that little crap. But it is really going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the ongoing series. I'm going to buy it. I think it's so much fun. So pick up Superman Traper Back Volume 1. 
to get you ready for volume two. Oof, okay, that was a lot. Sorry, folks. For these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. All right, well, let's jump into our first story. And we, again, I've been talking about the Super Suns. Folks, if you don't know the classic uh, Bronze Age Silver Suns, Super Suns, Silver Age, Bronze Age, whatever, Super Suns, here's the deal. Basically, it is about Superman and Batman at some point in their timeline have married and they have children. <laughs> Batman has a young man named Bruce Jr. Clark has a young man named Clark Jr. Superman, uh, they and they take on the superheroic names Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. Very clever, those boys. And they're teenagers, and they go out and they fight crimes together. And the glory of it is it's all in World's Finest. It's written by Bob Haney, and uh, it's drawn by Dick Dillon, which is beautiful. And you can get a collection, actually, called the, the Superman-Batman Saga of the Super Sons, which is an awesome collection, which is what I'll be reading from today. And... They go on these funny 70s adventures, you know, sort of like a, the Green Arrow, Hard Traveling Heroes adventures, except it's written by Bob Haney, so it's completely off its rocker. And the nice part is, like, at no point do they, like, ever say it's an imaginary story. At no point do they say it's a maybe story. It's just, it's there. It's happening. And I was reading ahead today, Robin, in another story, and I came across a scene where Batman supposedly dies, right? So Batman Jr. is very upset about it, and Robin, you know, Dick Grayson shows up. And where does Dick Grayson come from? He comes home from college. So doing the math on that, <laughs> did Dick Grayson spend 18, 19 years in college, I suppose, at this point? He's had a little trouble. <laughs> He's like uh, Bluto from Animal House, I guess, right? He has seven um, years of college down the drain. <laughs> so the issue I picked is uh, from World's Finest, number 221. And folks, you're going to love this one because I picked it because it's got super parent dickery. It's got globe trotting, It's got shark attacks and crazy dialogue. Lots and lots of fun. Now, this is actually the third adventure of the Super Sons. So if you want to hear about the first two adventures, there's a couple of podcasts you can check out. You can check out our friend Michael Bradley on his podcast, Superman and Batman, episode 13. He covered the very first Super Sun story. And then our friend Emily Middleton covered the second one on her Uncovering the Bronze Age uh, podcast, episode number four, which is part of the uh, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. So that's one. That's two. We're going to cover number three. You don't have to know about number one and two necessarily to follow along. Don't worry. But uh, it's a it's an absolute hoot. Here we go. This comic had a cover date of January to uh, slash February 1974. It's actually on the shelves on October 16th, 1973. I was one year old. Hmm. Uh, my thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics for that information. The story is called Cry Not for My Forsaken Son, because it's got an exclamation point. It's 20 pages, written by Bob Haney, penciled by Dick Dillon, with inks by Murphy Anderson. And here's the recap, folks. The story opens with some super parent dickery, as I mentioned. Despite their previous successes as superheroes, Clark Kent Jr. and Bruce Wayne Jr. I love those names are forbidden to continue their crime fighting careers. So each of the boys are in their own homes and receiving very similar lectures from their mothers and fathers. To be more specific, their anonymous mothers are demanding that the boys stop their superheroics while their super dads are sheepishly agreeing with their wives. They're probably more worried about being exiled to the from the bedroom to the couch of solitude, I imagine. However, these stubborn young men decide not to heed their parents' advice, and they go out there to fight crime. They rendezvous in Gotham City, where they commiserate about their superheroic embargo, and then they witness a police car chase in the classic style of chips. They make the same—I guess chips wasn't on the air this at this is point, pre, though. pre-chips, yeah. Wow, this, maybe this inspired chips. Hmm. Anyway, they make the scene only to discover a young teenage boy being apprehended by the police for stealing a car. 
Batman Jr. completely inexplicably convinces Commissioner Gordon to release the delinquent into Batman Jr. and Superman Jr.'s custody because, come on, you know, the kid was only borrowing the car. He was probably going to return it anyway. So the troubled young man, his name is Danny Orr, and he has had a falling out with his family. His mother is dead, and his father, Jack Orr, is a hard-working doorman at a hotel. But Danny doesn't think very highly of Jack's job. Then Danny explains that he's just discovered he's actually adopted, and his real father is Mark King, one of the wealthiest men in Gotham City. Turns out that Danny's real dad, Mark, um, uh, well, uh, both his adopted dad and his real dad were competing for the affections of the same woman. And uh, they were prospecting in a mine, in um, an emerald mine in Central America, because, you know, that's what you do in the 70s. And the mother died in childbirth. So they're sitting here. Both men are in Central America. There's a baby now without a a father or, or a mother. And so Danny's real dad, Mark, who's a bit of a douche, decides that the emerald mine should come first. So Jack says, you know what, I'll go back to the United States and I'll raise the kid as my own. Mark's real father, uh, Mark, the real father, becomes rich from the emerald mine, while Jack is forced to take whatever work he can get just to help raise the boy. It's very sad. So anyway, Danny goes off and meets his real father, uh, the rich guy, and is lured by his father's luxuries, and he abandons his adoptive father without considering the man that raised him. So uh, Danny's real father sends him to the Emerald Mines in Central America, wants him to learn the family business. Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. tag along, hidden in the airplane's cargo section. But something doesn't add up. Why would Mark King be shipping weapons to an Emerald Mine, and the barracks that for the mine workers there is set up like a concentration camp? Huh. So the truth about Danny's real father comes to light, that there is a slavery ring basically going on. Um, the Super Sons figure this out. They're the ones who the slaves are having to work the mine. They discover the mine that makes most of Mark King's wealth is being run by mercenaries who forces people into these subhuman conditions. It's awful. The Super Sons then take Danny to witness this truth about his biological father's empire, and once they're in the mine, they come across what? Jack or Danny's adoptive father's one of the mine workers? Didn't we just see him back in Gotham City? That's weird. Anyway, he's apparently working undercover for the government to dismantle the criminal operation because, you know— Hotel doormen were always working as undercover agents back in the 1970s. It's a commonly known fact. So the Super Sens lead a revolt of the mine workers. Thanks for laughing, by the way. Uh, they lead a revolt of the mine workers, and Jack Orr, who's again Danny's adoptive father, is nearly murdered. The battle, though, is glorious as these uh, you know mine workers are revolting. You get hydro, hydro, uh, hydraulic, I think that's it, yeah, hydraulic water cannons. You get a 10-ton rock crusher. You get a mine car chase that would make Indiana Jones jealous. They uh, they ride the waves over a waterfall and they end up in a sea full of sharks. So our heroes and Danny do escape, though. Then back in Gotham City, Danny's real father is exposed as a criminal, and Danny returns to his adoptive father, who might still be a regular man, but at least he's honest. And the Super Sons realize that they've got it tough, but lots of folks have it tougher. What'd you think of this one, buddy? Hey, well, this uh, typical Super Sons, it's nutty. Uh, it's completely <laughs> nutty. There's a couple of things, I, individual little bits that I like I'm going to point out. First of all, I love the final panel where the Super Sons do their own You See Timmy thing. Like They teach them their own lesson, which I kind of right. like. That's funny. Uh, you didn't really mention the cover by Nick Cardi. Oh, I absolutely I'm reading love. for my trade. It, the cover's great, yeah. Oh, okay, Superman, it's Superman and Batman arguing like spy versus spy or something. And they're like, your kid's wasting his time. My Super Son doesn't need help. Oh, yeah? My son will be prove he's better than yours without superpowers. I love Superman and Batman acting <laughs> like a bunch of teenagers. But my favorite panel, and this is to me like all this is sums up all of like superhero comics in the seventies. Okay. Is page two, panel three, Superman's thought balloon. 
I must admit, the boys surprised Batman and me by coming back from the dead in their first adventure to wreck a mafia gang. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. And it's only. That's like Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. Only in the DC Universe is that barely more than a shrug. Of that kind of just, you know. And then there's even the inset of them looking at their own children in costume in coffins. Yes. I just. I. That panel is just everything about DC in the 70s to me. That, that panel. <laughs> I just absolutely love it. So, yeah, the Super Sons make my head hurt. They, can, they continue to do so. Uh, it's just, I just, I don't know. I, I'm like, I just can't believe that DC kind of let this get published continually. For a and long I mean, this long trade time. Right. Thick. Yeah. I mean, they let them do it. But yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy the story. I'm glad you mentioned the costumes because. You never, in the, at least this adventure, you never see Batman Jr. and Superman Jr., which, by the way, is so much fun to say. Um, you never see them out of costume, ever, in the whole thing. Um, I do love in the beginning, all right, so I'm going to go a little bit page by page. But page one, I love the, you know, I, it, one of the trademarks of the Super Sons things is the mothers appear a lot. Bruce Wayne's wife and Clark Kent's wife, but you never see their face. Their head is always just turned away, so you never know who the mothers right. are. We actually, we do see Bruce without his costume on the very first page. Well, he's without the cowl. Okay, we see his. Well, that's true. You're right. You're right. He's still got the costume, but not the cowl. That's fair. And Alfred's handing him the cowl. So, that's true. Completely against the parents' wishes. <laughs> but I just, I love, uh, you know, the mothers are still anonymous. They're totally browbeating their husbands. The mothers are, you know, like, Mr. Kent, speak to your son. And then, you know, uh, Wayne is like, your son and your heir, Mr. Wayne, is defying me. It's, they're so bitchy, these mothers. <laughs> and, and Batman are henpecked husbands. They're so browbeaten. Seriously, I wasn't kidding. They're worried about sleeping on the couch of solitude is why they're doing this. You know, it's like, she's going to cut me off. I'm, I'm no. And then uh, you get Bruce Hefner there. I love uh, I love the bathrobe he's in. And he's got a pipe. Yep, exactly. And then uh, on, on page two, I mean, this is where Haney, some of Haney's dialogue just starts to sing. And by sing, I mean in its own weird language. Um, Bruce Wayne or Batman Jr. is mad. He's like, adults, I never dig their heads. What is that? Does that even mean something? And then later on, it's, it's Bruce Jr. that has the funniest dialogue. He's like, Clark, baby. And then they see the cops, and he's like, it's the fuzz. Come on, it's action time, tiger. What? Really? <laughs> Batman being the freewheeling funny one is just so strange. And then when the kid steals the car, Commissioner Gordon releases the kid into their custody simply because Batman Jr. quotes a statistic that says, but most likely true, sir. Crime statistics prove most young car thieves return the vehicle soon after. And Commissioner Gordon's like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, why okay, not? Sure, this kid seems to know what he's talking about. <laughs> What else? Uh, there's a lot of references to wanting to quote unquote paddle his tail uh, when they get mad at this kid Danny. That's a little weird. Uh, I guess maybe that's just a thing of the time. But and then uh, let's see. Okay, here's something actually I thought was really good. Dick Dillon did a nice job on this one. On page six, Superman Junior is listening into the conversation between Danny and his real dad. And Superman Junior's hanging outside the window. He's like holding on to the window frame. It's a really awkwardly drawn panel. Okay, he's hanging out of the window frame and he's propped up with his feet. But it's a good demonstration of the fact that Superman Junior only has half of his dad's powers. So normally Superman would just fly and hover out there, right? But Superman Junior, he's probably not capable of that, so he has to hang on, which I thought was a nice art, artistic uh, artistic touch. And the logic you talk about the logic, and sometimes uh, uh, Bob Haney will just when he writes a story, things just happen because they just have to. And like the fact that they, you know, the, the the real father sends Danny to Central America, and Superman Junior and Batman Junior 
just smuggle themselves in the plane and go with them. Why? Why do they go there? There's there's very little explanation of why they go. They just decide to do it, and they're smuggled in, and then they smuggle themselves in crates full of guns, which is just so strange. It just the logic behind it. it's one of those you know I listened to some of the past Bob Haney showcase and you were just talking about a lot of these are like fever dreams you just go along with them and you're like ah, it's just for the story it doesn't make any sense you just go with it that's kind of one of those situations and then let's see what else the revolt okay so the revolt is an absolute blast with the water cannon I mentioned it, the mine cart and and the sharks and it's just such an over the top uh, action scene that just the drama keeps building to the point where they're in, you know, Batman Jr. and Danny and the folks are floating in the water and sharks are circling them and Superman Jr. just swoops in and beats up the sharks at the last second. It just that cracked me up. I just absolutely love that bit. And then in the end, because remember, this whole thing started because they were being forbidden from being superheroes, right? They have their moral, they learn their lesson about, you know, some people have it tougher, but at no point do they have any resolution with their parents. So they're still technically forbidden from uh, from being superheroes, but that hasn't been resolved at all. So I, I love how the story doesn't really resolve itself. <laughs> Typical on, Bob Haney. On, uh, on page seven, mm-hmm. uh, where it's panel one, two, three, four, five, it's the okay. flashback, and it says, Time went by, and Jack Orr raised young Danny. As Mark King continued his frantic search for riches, almost completely forgetting his son, right? You see him looking at the newspaper? Yeah. You see what newspaper that is? Daily Bugle. Oh my god! Didn't um, didn't Aparo do that in a Spectre comic and Adventure Comics recently? They were talking about that I think on so, the uh, yeah. midnight. The midnight. It's midnight. The uh, podcasting hour. It's a show. It's on our network. This guy named Ryan does it. He snuck in. I don't know how he got in, but uh, it's a Daily Bugle. I didn't even pick up on that. That's awesome! Yay, Dick Dylan! <laughs> it's, it's a merging of the universes. It's so weird to me how Batman, like Batman Jr. looks just like Batman, okay? But the dialogue coming out of him is redunculous. Now Superman Jr. does look a little different. His hair's a little thicker. He's, I love his big like pork chop, lamb chop kind of things. You know, or almost that he's got if they're a little bit longer. I like that, but it's just well, he looks Batman, like Elvis. He looks like a young Elvis. He does. You're right. I just, I just can't process Batman Jr. It, I just can't get it through my head. He's, he's got me flummoxed. So you're gonna have to, I don't know. We're going to have to read the Super Sons comic for uh, the new one to see if it's just as much fun because the intro was. I love the idea that you never throw anything away. You know, yeah. so the, you know what, what was ridiculous not that long ago, our writer nowadays is like, well, we can do the Super Sons. Why not? Let's just do that. <laughs> when I first saw a picture, uh, before they even announced the title of the book, I saw an ad when Rebirth was first getting started, and it was Damian Wayne standing next to uh, Jonathan Kent. And I just looked at it, and I thought, oh, my God, how did I not realize this was coming? Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. <laughs> so that's oh, all I got. I, it's I, just fun. I, I, I want to mention a little because we we don't get too much in detail about the, the artwork. Uh, is again Dick by Dylan. Dick, Dick Dillon yeah. and Murphy Anderson. Dick Dillon was drawing Justice League every month. He drew it from 1966 through 1980, <sighs> miss, missing one issue. Oh my gosh! In 14, and that and that was even a time there was a run where Justice League went to extra long stories, and he still drew the whole book. Mm. How he had time to do a single panel. For another comic, I don't know. But he also, during this time, he also drew World Series, uh, World's Finest. He drew Blackhawk. He did specials. Right. He did that crazy issue where they Superman's with the supervillains and superheroes fight, playing a baseball game. Strange it, it, sports. It, it, strange sports. I mean, the man just, I don't know. I, I don't want to make a joke about how this job probably killed him, because but it, I think it probably did, because he died at like 
in his early fifties. He died very young. But very the, young. the body of his work is amazing. It's unbelievable. So like a lot of people are not big fans of his because his work is not very flashy. Uh, and I get that. Uh, but I, I've always liked Dick Dillon, probably because I grew up on it, because it's Justice League. But it, there's to me, there's enough idiosyncrasies to it and about the poses and the facial details that I, I like it. It's not the most, again, it's the most flashy thing in the world. But like page 19, that close-up, I love that. Like that big close-up of, of like that, the profile, that's a nice shot. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't know. I, I've always, to me, it's stuff is very pleasing. He knew how to do action. You, you mentioned the, um, the, 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 the chase. You know, like right. well executed. Yeah. All the angles are interesting. Uh, you know, and like the, the 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 panel where Superman fights all the sharks is great. I mean, think about how many, <laughs> how much he's, how much information he's conveying in a tiny panel. That Superman flying into the water, punching all the sharks, grabbing the guy, punching out. You know, I mean. It's Dick Dillon was like a really dependable, sturdy artist, and I know those words can be used to kind of you know be backhanded compliments, but I don't know. To me, there's just a real unfussiness to his artwork, very clear, and that was probably essential when you were trying to draw stories as insane as this. You know? Well, yeah, the clear storytelling is incredibly important. In, well, first of all, in comics, but back then, I mean, nowadays the stories are so decompressed that you know it takes like this. Oh, this, this particular would be a trade paperback nowadays. This one, uh, story. this might be an entire like twenty-four issue run of a series. Yeah. Actually, I mean, yeah. to get from point A to point B there, but. It, Dylan is able to convey so much in such a short period of time. As you said, the storytelling is perfectly clear. There's never any question of what's going on. Right. There's never any question of which character is which. I, I You said he's not flashy. I mean, I, it does feel like a, a, a backhanded compliment or, or, or taking him down. But, guys, if you like Bronze Age comics, this is solid. It looks nice. It's very pretty. Is it Neil Adams? No, but who cares? You know, here, I'm going to piss somebody off. I'd much rather see this than, like, uh, Bronze Age Kurt Swan. You know, I think this is great. I think it's solid storytelling. It's very enjoyable. It's got it handles the breakneck pace. The characters look great. I love it. I'm Dick Dillon is a is a boss. I mean, like you said, the Justice Leagues. So many times people talk about amazing stories from the Justice Leagues. Those were Dick Dillon guys. That's who drew most of those. So uh, from the Bronze Age, yeah, yep. they were. It's excellent, excellent, oh. excellent, excellent. I mean, and I love Neil Adams, but like I think if you had paired Neil Adams with this particular, st- I mean, Neil Adams by opinion, he did a lot of work together, but I think if you would. But Haney's stuff in the '60s was a little less insane. I think mm-hmm. if you started pairing Neil Adams up on a story like this, it would just it would spin off its rails because it was just <laughs> so insane. You, I think you needed somebody like Dylan to kind of you know give you a a foundation from which to operate from this insane story. Yeah. Well, that's why you got people like Dylan and Aparo that yeah. meld so well, you yeah. know, with him. So, yeah. speaking of which, uh, yeah, we're gonna take a break. And then when we come back, we are going to talk about another Bob Haney story. This one's written by Jim Aparo. This is Brave and the Bold, number 126, What Lurks Below Buoy 13. Dun, dun, dun. It's a small world after all. It's a small world. Great comics come in all shapes and sizes. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's Digest Cast, a new show dedicated to our beloved pocket-sized treasures from that bygone era of the 70s and 80s. Hosted by the Fire and Water podcast team of Robin Shag, and we'll be joined from time to time by special guests. It's Digest Cast, because big things come in small packages. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the League through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances and other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. And we're back, and we are about to cover The Brave and the Bold, starring Aquaman and Batman. Or I guess technically it's Batman and Aquaman. No, 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 it's Aquaman and Batman, that's fine. (laughs) Issue 126. Rob, why don't you walk us through this uh, deep, murky depth of danger? I'm going to swim us through this. This is Brave and Bold 126. The story is What Lurks Below Buoy 13. Now, fun fact, I was sure this was the only DC comic story ever to feature the word buoy in the title. (laughs) <laughs> okay. But I was wrong. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World, I found out that there was a story in All-American Men of War and Day with Debbie that featured the words Bowie. So, what? Why was that even something you'd look I up? I don't know, but it was just fascinating. It's just a funny word. You just look at it. It doesn't – because it doesn't – Bowie, does it, the word is B-U-O-I. It looks strange. And so, I don't know. It just sort of fascinated me. As they say in Bad, bad Santa, it can't all be winners. So anyway, this story is uh, What Lurks Below, Booby 13. story is Bob Haney. The art is by Jim Aparo and the unnecessary John Callan, but we'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, uh, it's Batman rescues his friend Ed, which is <laughs> in Haney's world, <laughs> Batman has tons of friends that we've yes, never he heard about and we never hear again after this. Anyway, he, says he rescues his friend Ed from drowning because Batman has a lot of friends from drowning and he sees a small undersea satellite rocket past. A small sub comes by and scoops the satellite up, but before the Dark Knight can figure out what's going on, a Navy destroyer nearby drops some death charges, upending the boat Batman and his friend Ed are on. Batman climbs aboard the Navy ship, and its commander tells him that their orders were to stop the sub from picking up that satellite, but they were too late. It seems that the satellite could detect U.S. ships, making them vulnerable to a sneak attack. Batman is asked to help out, and he was... <laughs> this is the first of the many great pages of Batman doing these things because whips his finger around in Batman's face. He says, you can make up for it, Batman, by helping your Uncle Sam capture the satellite and even up the balance of terror. Batman says, must be a better way to run the world. But okay, Admiral, guess the Navy's got a new recruit. That's <laughs> my favorite part. And then he says, a whole battle fleet could get that satellite. It could cause war. And then we have this great shot of emo Batman. Yes, nations, like men who fear men who live in mistrust and fear end up destroying each other. So that's Batman. He's very upset. Many miles away, we see the inside the sub that we see inside the sub that nabbed the satellite. Two men, one old and one young, are examining its insides and thinking it's American made. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. Batman then runs, Batman goes underwater. He runs into his old pal Aquaman. He says, Aquaman, did I hear right? The satellite wasn't made by either superpower, but by Atlantean scientists? Good lord. Aquaman does his best Namor. When he says, when he responds to Batman, Batman says, both sides are ready to go to war. You must do something. Aquaman says, why should I? I've been exiled from my rightful throne of king of, as king of Atlantis. For as for the air breathers, let them destroy each other. I care not. So he's about ready to declare his love for Sue Storm, I would say. But anyway, so then we have part two. Fear is the enemy, which is so true. Batman says, so why don't you tell the trigger-happy powers that satellites in Atlantean invention? It could advert disaster. Aquaman says, they won't believe me. The undersea freak. I don't know what is going on. So then we get this, <laughs> we get this vision of what the bomb could do, and it's all these fish and all these people being thrown out. Batman finally says, are you prepared to sit by and see your watery world destroyed forever? Aquaman, all right, you win. I must put aside my pride and help you. Aquaman and Batman... <laughs> Aquaman, Aquaman and Batman and Aquaman's vehicle, the Double Dolphin, which was yes! a, the Double Dolphin makes a return, which was a Mego playset that they should have made, intercept the Navy, <laughs> which has just been stolen back by the, just stolen back the satellite. They shoot out of the vehicle and try more direct assault. Batman and Aquaman take on the guys. One of the, one of the uh, Navy guys shoots a harpoon at Batman, which Batman, uh, which Aquaman stops in the nick of time. He stops it like an inch away from Batman's head, which is fantastic. He throws it back. It throws it, it sets off an explosion. So you have that going on. It's all going on undersea. Then, <laughs> after they get back in the double dolphin, we cut to the White House in a panel that's reminiscent of a Doonesbury strip because we just see the White House and these balloons over it. So, <laughs> I surely, think about that. <laughs> surely, as a radiogram is received at the White House, Mr. President, Ackerman claims the satellite is an Atlantean invention. He's holding his protective custody. Even that's true. We must get it back to prevent its recapture from the other side. That's my uh, Richard Nixon. Wow, says, anyway, it's uncanny. It's actually, it's as good as it's as good as your FDR. Really Let's put it that should, way. I really shouldn't do Nixon. This is 1975. Gerald Ford was president. He was hard to imitate. So it's Gerald just, Ford doing that. Just fall down. Okay, yeah, there you go. And half a world away, where a similar message has been received over in Russia. Comrades, I smell a trick. Aquaman has often worked for American interests. You must recover the satellite to protect ourselves. Which is funny that we're presenting uh, the United States and the Soviet Union as different governments. Because as, as we all know, we've merged into one. But that's, that's, oh my that's another thing. All right, I was, is, that, is that even the Kremlin, though? Well, it's not the Kremlin. Yeah. They, actually, no, it's not the Kremlin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, he says, Aquaman reluctantly turns the satellite over to Baron Mannheim, the U.N. representative. <laughs> Mannheim steamroller. The U.N. representative. <laughs> Batman shows up at the U.N. saying the offhand went well, perfectly, except what happened there. He says, you must. And the, the guy says, what? You've already turned the satellite over to one of our representatives, but we haven't sent anyone yet. Batman, you must have, sir. The plane had a U.N. insignia. We gave it to one of your diplomats, a Baron Mannheim. Baron Mannheim, he's not connected with the United Nations. The man's an international criminal. Good detective work, Bruce. That's my favorite part. You just show up with a sticker on your on your plane, and Batman's like, fine, here, you can have this. It's no problem. Right. Anyway, so Batman, didn't Batman or Aquaman think to ask for ID before they handed the satellite over to bring out a nuclear war? These are supposedly two of the world's greatest superheroes. Batman reteams with Aquaman to find this Mannheim guy in the satellite. Aquaman says there's a built-in circuit inside the satellite that will go off uh, if it's removed from water, so it's still under sea somewhere. Aquaman and Batman do their search inside the double dolphin. Batman searches through Interpol's file on Mannheim. Reading it over, he, Batman spots what he thinks might be a clue as to where Mannheim is headed. A lake called 
Kangachero. Great name. Turns out Batman is right, for we see Baron Mannheim at the lake meeting up with a satellite meeting up with the satellite as it arrives near the shore. Meanwhile, Batman and the Navy commander find one of Mannheim's partners radioing a message to unknown parties. The Navy commander shoots him dead. Batman even adds, nice shooting, Commander. And they <laughs> and they head back to the The guy the guy actually is protecting Batman. He's pushing Batman down and shooting. Yes, that's right. So they head back to the Navy uh, they head back to the Navy chopper. So they're okay. Batman manages to catch up with Mannheim before he meets up with his nasty pals in their U-boat, but the Nazis see this and join in the fray. Aquaman traveling even faster through the sea with the help of the two of his two dolphin pals, another kind of double dolphin, helps fight off the Nazis. In the fray, though, one of them grabs a satellite from Mannheim and heads back to their U-boat. Batman tries to grab the one with the satellite, but he's too late. But as I've said many times in my personal life, thank heaven there's Aquaman. He shows up on a giant whale, smashes the sub open, he grabs the he grabs the explosion, and in the final panel we have Batman and Aquaman. As Aquaman says, the satellite says the satellite stays safely here in the Aqua Cave, where the fears of air breathing world cannot ever touch it again. Batman says, I suppose it's the best way until all nations learn to live in trust and peace. That's my favorite part. You've said that about many parts there's a lot of great parts in the story so okay yeah so that is this is really an amazing story you've got atlantis creating really dangerous weapons nazis aquaman's double dolphin plus batman commending someone's shooting expertise bob haney knew how to pack a lot into 18 measly pages this is a really fun story i love the story just because neither character acts remotely like they should Right. I mean, Bob Haney has written a ton of Batman comics by this point. Now, admittedly, Batman's not that out of character for the Haney verse. Uh, no. But Aquaman, he wrote Aquaman for ages, and he knows how Aquaman behaves. It's nothing like this at all. Yeah, it's it's completely nutty. I I love that Aquaman is just turning into Namor in that one thing. Uh, I love that Batman hands over a deadly satellite to. A guy who just says he's from the UN. I just uh, that is just fantastic. This is the equivalent of going to like Kinkos and getting up one of those magnets printed on the side of your car. This is like FBI, yeah, and slapping it on there, and then just going and like arresting someone. Batman, <laughs> Batman's like, "Are you got? Are you really Manheim, or are you three kids standing on each other's shoulders wearing a long coat?" No, no, no. We're really Manheim. Okay, here you go. I mean, just like <laughs> completely screwy. The only real downside I have to the story is the art a little bit, and I can't believe I'm saying that in any story drawn by Jim Aparo. It's because this guy's inked by John Calnan, and John I, Jim Aparo was his own best inker, and John Calnan kind of like loosens it up a little, and I just <laughs> what. Mm, somebody didn't read the letters page. I did not read the letters page. What did it say? Guess what? You've got it backwards. Jim Aparo didn't have time to pencil this issue. It's actually penciled by the other guy, Kalnan, and Aparo inked it. Oh, that's weird. Which okay. explains why some of the design isn't that great. Huh. But, but Aparo, I see either way. I see it the other way around. Aparo saves this book because it's still they still look like Aparo. You know, yeah, you you're Batman, right. That's yeah, an yeah. that's a that's an Aparo. A Batman, no doubt about it. So it's it's fascinating to see it's the other way around, and yet and so when you said um, the other guy was completely needless for this story, it is kind of that way because Aparo made this look like his own book just well, for me. Yeah, you know what? I take it back. I completely take back my criticism because yeah, the only reason this even looks like Jim Aparo at all is because of Jim Aparo. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that tripped me out when I read that. I'm like, what? No, yeah, I, I did not read the letters page. I apologize, everyone. I, I have lots of. Uh, bit-by-bit bit notes to, to go over. Uh, I love that you mentioned Ed, 
because you're right. In the beginning, Batman's got this buddy named Ed, and he must have said Ed's name like seven times. Jump, Ed, jump. Ed, right? even KO'd, he's going under. So you like you immediately assume that he's an important character. Like he means something to the Batman universe. Like you should know, like Commissioner. You know, there's Commissioner Gordon, there's Batgirl, there's Ed, there's Robin. You know, it's like is what you're thinking there. Um, and he's just this guy who's nobody. But it's like you sh- you immediately care about him because Batman keeps calling him by name. You know, I love that Batman's out on a boat in the middle of the night looking for smugglers in full costume. It's just. There's something so charming about thinking about Batman nowadays, who's the rooftop, you know, you know, Avenger who swings from you know, everywhere, and him being out on a cigarette boat, you know, in the middle of the night looking for bad guys, smug- you know, smuggling in Saturday Night Specials. That just cracks me up. Um, the whole bit when the when the Navy recruits Batman is just bat shit crazy. You know, like come, they tell the naval guys like, come to Washington and bring Batman. What? Really? Yeah. Then Batman swears his allegiance to the Navy. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Oh, gosh. I got a lot of stuff you already touched on, like how arrogant Aquaman is and the double dolphin, which made me so happy. Yeah, now, I look love up the double dolphin. Oh. Now, we've talked about double dolphin because we've done Brave and the Bolds by Haney before that had Aquaman. So we've talked right. about the – because the double dolphin never appeared in the Aquaman comic, right? I don't think so. I have to. I haven't read some of those old Aquaman comics in a long time. But, yeah, no, I think this was only in Brave and the Bold. Which is funny though, because it kept coming back in Brave and the Bold. Though it's like he was developing. It's <clears throat> it's sort of like Plastic Man. He was developing his own continuity in Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. You know. So if you go to page eight, um, the, the, you mentioned it. Great. There's a great save where you know the harpoon's coming at Batman, and Aquaman grabs it, and you see Batman's mask, which is great. But look above that, the very first panel, Batman is doing a move he usually does uh, in uh, on land, where he does a flip in the air and kicks somebody. Yep. Well, he does that same move underwater. How does that help him at all underwater? <laughs> like doing a flip underwater to kick somebody would just slow you down. So uh, it's pretty, but not so much. And then uh, let's see, on page nine, Aquaman gets really pissed and he grabs the submersible the bad guys have and he actually just spins it like the wheel on uh, on uh, Price is Right. And you see the one guy, you see all the guy that is like fl- flying out of it. You see like yeah. legs, all these guys like, whoa, yeah. Then it lands on bankrupt. So anyway, um, now if the story had ended on page nine, I actually would have been okay. I mean, so much happens in the first nine pages. Like I was reading it, I'm like, well, that was kind of short, I guess. But I felt like I got a complete story before they ever handed over to Mannheim. It's like I would have been fine if the story ended there. It was that good. And then uh, later on, when they figure out that the satellite is not in an ocean, but it's in a lake. Okay, that's some crazy Haney logic right there. And the fact that they found the right lake, I mean, thank goodness they weren't in Minnesota. They would have been searching forever. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I mentioned some globetrotting in the other one, in the in the Super Sons we did. But, man, that's nothing compared to the globetrotting in this story. Wow, they are all over the place. And uh, and I love the exciting water fight at the end, you know, when they're uh, – it's drawn really well. And they're uh, grabbing the, the air breather off of folks and stuff. And Batman's fighting all those soldiers. And it's, it's really actually a very well done, very – choreographed well a fight I really enjoyed it and then uh, the last thing because you didn't read the letters page there, someone does call out Bob Haney uh, for saying you know in all of Bob Haney's stories everybody's his buddy and uh, and um, he, Batman works with the law 
Whereas in every other book, Batman goes solo and doesn't, you know, avoids the police. And the editor actually takes time to defend Bob Haney by name. He says, Bob Haney writes only the Batman stories in World's Finest and in Brave and the Bold. And in both of those, by the necessity of the way the stories are developed, Batman has to team up with people by its very nature. Therefore, the Batman in these stories is much more cooperative with, the, uh, with law enforcement and with uh, other people. That's a, that's a nice, uh, interesting logic behind it. Shut up, you stupid kids. <laughs> uh, this kind of, kind of, it gives it a whole new light when you realize that uh, Aparo inked it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's weird. I, I, it's, it's funny. I, I guess I, I must have read the letters page at some point, but it must have been a really long time because I don't remember. But yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I'm now like, okay. It's, it's, I'm surprised this looks as good as it does if it was inked by John. I don't mean to be so negative about John Calvin, but it just, you know, to me, Jim Aparo was his own best inker. You know, and so, and you can see some stuff. I mean, some sub details that he throws in, like page eleven, where Aquaman is in the double dolphin and he's looking at like a view screen, mm-hmm. and there's this like all the light is coming from the view screen, so there's like some deep shadows. Like that's a nice little touch. Yeah, you know, like most, I think a lot of people wouldn't bother with that. They wouldn't bother to draw that. Well, I wonder looking at like page um, page fourteen, which is our favorite one, where that the, where the guy shoots the bad guy and Batman's like congratulating him, like. The panel, the, the the action in that is so well. Like I don't know who John Calvin is. I've never heard of him, but the action here is so well developed. It almost makes me wonder. Unless John Calvin does have a long history, we don't know about. Folks, write in and tell us. Um, it don't, makes me wonder. Maybe Aparo did the breakdowns even, or something, or, or thumbnails, or just design, or something. Because I'm, I'm gonna bet that he did. Because this looks like. I mean, this looks like an Aparo page. That action looks like Aparo action, not just the inking, but just the design of it. Yes, and the the page where Aquaman almost gets the harpoon at the head. That's an Aparo page. It looks like it, yeah. yeah. Just the way it's paced, that's an mm-hmm. Aparo page. So, yeah, I bet you're right. I bet that he, Aparo, did layouts and counted did pencils. Thumbnails or yeah, something. Or something like that, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of these poses are Aquaman poses. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, this looks like the Adventure Comics run, which is my favorite thing. So And the thing, him riding the whale, all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He keeps referencing the Adventure Comics run, too, where he was exiled. Yes, yeah. It's a little, Haney actually bothering to worry about continuity for a second. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I'm betting he never. I bet he didn't know. I'm sure Bob Haney did not read any of these comic books that was going on. I'm sure the editor had to say, "Oh, by the way, Aquaman's been exiled." But yeah, I love how angry he is, and I let them destroy each other. I care not. It's an absolute win. It's an absolute Haney story. It's awesome. Uh, folks, by the way, any any information you share with us or your opinions, please be sure you're using the hashtag pound Zany Haney. We want to be sure to include that. You know, We'll retweet it. We'll share it out there. We'll have fun with it. Uh, we hope you're enjoying these as much as we are. And I'm not sure when we're going to do the next Zany Haney. I mean, it's it's been a year. I, I don't think we're going to let it go that far again. But, folks, we could use some suggestions on what to do next. I, I would like – because I've done two Super Sons now. I think it's time to move on. Uh, we've done lots of Batman Brave and the Bold. It's not to say we won't do more, but I would love to see some suggestions of other just crazy or zany, is even perhaps, stories that Bob Haney's written we would love to do. So, like uh, last time, Ange gave me a suggestion of first issue special, which led us down that glorious path of all those first issue special coverage. I got to get but, back um, to those. You still got it. We got a few to go. I, yeah. I started doing a bunch of research for the New Gods episode, by the way, and then you petered out on me. But, um, <laughs> okay. I'll blame it on you. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he recommended the Metamorpho first issue special by Bob Haney, and that was just wonderful. Just like one of my favorite comics of uh, of that entire year. Yeah, that one was terrific. Yeah, that was a really good one. Definitely need some more Bob Haney suggestions, folks. 
Well, folks, thank you again. Thank you for joining us on the Bob Haney special. I do expect for the next few days as you're walking along to be kind of going to yourself, tapping your toes, going, metamorpho, 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 because I know I will be, so. I will, uh, I will say, if you guy, if you plan to read any '70s Bob Haney comics, don't make plans to go anywhere. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery. <laughs> that is absolutely fair. The, the boy speaks truth. I dig it. Uh, please leave comments on the interwebs. Uh, you can go out to fireandwaterpodcast.com and just go up to the shows button and find the Fire and Water Podcast, uh, Aquaman and Firestorm show to be specific. And you'll find this episode. You can leave your comments there. We would love to hear from you. You can find my friend Rob on Twitter on almost every handle out there, but uh, including Treasury Comics. Uh, what, is it Treasury Comics or is it is that what it's called? Yeah, at Treasury Comics and at Film and Water Pod and at Pod underscore Dylan. And then you get to set up one for Digest Cast as well or Digest Comics. I don't, we have to talk about that whether we're going to do that. I don't know, but we've announced the show. We have announced the show. Yes, That's I think big news. Bob, we didn't even talk about that at the top of the show that we. Well, I assume you're playing the promo just a few minutes ago. Yeah, I did. Well, I did, but you know, we. Well, anyway, okay. Yes, we're still, we're launching a new show. It's going to be Shag and I and special guest Digest Cast. It's going to be a lot of fun. You know, now that I think about it, Bob Haney is uh, in some of those digests. Yes, he is. Just saying. Might be a crossover coming. Anyway. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, you can find me at Firestorm Fan or Once Upon a Geek on Twitter. And then on Facebook, of course, you can find our Fire and Water Podcast uh, network page. So be sure to leave comments there. I think that's going to do it. Uh, until next time, folks, fan the flame. And ride the Haney. <laughs> child arrived just the other day He came to the world in the usual way But there were planes to catch and bills to pay He learned to walk while I was away And he was talking for I knew it And as he grew, he'd say I'm gonna be like you, Dad You know I'm gonna be like you And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon Little boy blue and the man Coming home, Dad, a dog.